<laughs> Yo, what's up, everybody? Welcome to this week's episode of Talks with Taboo. Welcome to this week's episode of the podcast. Hope everyone's having a great week. I know I'm wearing the same shirt as last week, but that's just because I recorded this episode the same day that I recorded last week's episode. A little bit of time travel for your ass. Uh, go listen to Crawl Daddy because it's out right now, and it's a dope-ass track. And, um, you know, if you like crawfish, it's a, it's a dope song to eat crawfish, too. If you like... Um, talking shit about crawfish is a good song to listen to while li- talking shit about crawfish. But my guest this week is an absolute legend, dude. Literally one of the godfathers of EDM trap music and somebody I've wanted to talk to for a very long time. Cannot believe I got him on the podcast. Amazing episode right here. Hope y'all enjoy it. Love y'all. Enjoy. Joining us now is an absolute legend in the dance music, specifically the trap music grind, man. I have This is a guy that I've been a fan of for years and somebody I've wanted on this podcast for a very long time. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Yeah, Me Too. What up? What, what an up, intro, son? man. What an intro. Thank you so much. That's, that is so uh, lovely to hear, man. I appreciate you. Off the dome, bro. I don't even write verses. <laughs> Yo, innovator in the trap game. Yeah, dude. <laughs> oh, what is it? Major uh, key. No, I'm not gonna steal Khaled's words. That's fucked up. I was about to say major key. That ain't that ain't that ain't cool. No, minor key. Minor key only. Minor keys, yep, yep. I mean some DJs who've been canceled recently cannot say minor keys, but we can say minor keys for sure. Oh damn. I don't even I don't even I don't even get the reference. Yo, I'm gonna tell you right now, I'm so far removed from like EDM and the EDM like world, I'm missing all the drama. Dude, let's talk about that actually, because you know, I've seen you on the Twitters, you know what I'm saying? Saying like, you know, you, you were all there was a I don't know the tweet word from word, but you were talking about how you were almost uh gonna stop doing electronic music, how you were you know, basically fed up with it, man. So talk a little bit about that. Uh, yeah. Okay. So basically I said, I was like, I feel like my time in EDM is coming to a close. And a lot of that came from frustration, just feeling like I was invisible to, you know, uh, festival promoters, you know, it's like leaving Flusterdamas and starting a new project was really, was really dope for me, like creatively. And I feel like I've taken that, uh, taken advantage of that. But the fact that Kurt continued Flusterdamas on, like, I feel like as far as promoters go, they were like, oh, there's still flustered on this. So it doesn't, it doesn't really matter. And so mm-hmm. I didn't really get as much attention from them as, as I would have liked. So I was first, I was frustrated. And that tweet was posted right after the, um, what was it? They, I don't know if it was EDC. They had some sort of like virtual event and it was just all the same DJs. Yeah. Like not even fuck, fuck me book something cool and new like that's that's it so i just sat and i watched the i saw the lineup i didn't watch the fest but i saw the lineup and i was just like oh damn like it's literally all the same cats even in a scenario where no one's getting paid you don't have to fly anyone in there's no restrictions as to who you can book for this so when i still wasn't getting booked for events like that i was like you know what 
I think that's it. I think I've had my like fill in EDM. Um, and then another thing is I got into EDM accidentally. So like, you know, making stuff for Floss, the, the, the songs that like became the first trap songs were me making beats. That was what my, that was me writing a beat for a rapper and then not getting a rapper on it because no one fucked with it and then putting <laughs> it on SoundCloud to be like, and people were like, yo, what go- the fuck, yo, like this shit's right, gnarly. Right, right. Yeah. right. Maybe these people will fuck with it. And, and, and I'll tell you, I'm so removed from that world that I labeled it trap on SoundCloud. Cause I was like, this is a trap beat. Like it's like a, like a, like a Southern hip hop T I G Z trap beat to me, my interpretation of it. And so I put that up, but the kids that like were engaging with it and were seeing it didn't even know that term in relation to hip hop. They only knew that term as something new that was in relation to this genre of electronic music. So that's how the whole thing even became a thing was just by accident. So I feel like I got into EDM accidentally. And since I wasn't really feeling it anymore, I was like, I think I'm going to make my departure. (laughs) Yeah. But not. go ahead. No, you go ahead, man. I was just gonna say not to like pigeonhole myself. It's not this. I still love making like instrumentals and I love making like electronic music, electronica, even down tempo. There's so many genres of uh, electronic music that I fuck with. I'm just saying like that big festival fire EDM scene wasn't fucking with me. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to take the message. I'm going to take it. I'm going to take the hint and I'm going to, I'm going to go over here. Yeah, dude. Look, we just got into that deep quick you know what i'm saying we got deep on that quick i was gonna be something we work into i love it though that's awesome man those are definitely things i wanted to talk to you about but uh you know that's that's crazy so do you so do you feel like you are done though i know you you know you were mad about the the festival thing but whenever covid shits back do you think you're gonna go back into doing the whole touring thing or do you feel like your time of it is done uh, no, no, I'll, I'll always tour, man. That's, you know, that's how I make my bread and butter. And that's one of the, it's funny. I, I got jaded on touring because I was just doing it so fucking much for so long. And this pandemic, one of the silver linings is that, you know, I've, I've been able to take a break. So I miss the road and I miss doing shows. I miss seeing fans and whatever. So I'll always play shows. But what those shows will sound like, and the music that's going to come out is what's going to change. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, dude, this, this festival lineups, dude, I, I saw a tweet where it was like, uh, you know, like, I totally agree. It was like the same fucking people. I saw somebody had a tweet. They're like, I didn't want to play your fest online festival anyway. <laughs> I right. thought that tweet was amazing, man. I retweeted well, well, that I'll shit. T- I'll tell you what. I'll tell you one thing is after I posted that shit, it, I was like, I was getting booked. Like after I posted that, I started getting books. I got on like three Insomniac streams. I got Lollapalooza after that. And I want to say like, I always, you know, I, as an older guy in the game, like I always try and like hand down advice to the younger generation. And for me, I'm like, bro, just make your thoughts, make your feelings known. If yeah. I would have never said nothing, if I would have just been like, you know what, I'm just going to take this quietly and just cry in my bedroom. <laughs> you know, like if I would have been like, super just like whatever about it. I don't think anyone would have booked me or anyone would have said anything. But the fact that I spoke up and was like, yo, this is fucked up. And and so many people engaged with it. It wasn't like I just said that and no one was like, whatever. It was like a lot of people were like, yeah, these these lineups are pretty fucking vanilla, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, 
that I feel like that actually has something to do with me ending up getting booked. So these these streams that you're doing, man. So I I personally have have stayed away a little bit from them just because uh I, I don't know, they're just not my thing. But it, but I've stayed away. Do you still like? Do you feel like those have helped you? You know, stay on people's minds or maybe possibly even grow. Yeah, man. I mean, the growth is is you know obviously now in this day and age of like social media, you could the growth is tangible. You can actually see the numbers go up. Um. But it's tapered off as to the amount of growth. So, like when I did Digital, Mir- Dig- Digital Mirage, the first one, like I got like 5,000 followers in like an hour. It was just like boom, just like jumped up. And then as, as it's going on, like Lollapalooza and whatever, it'll be like 500 followers. Like it'll, it'll still be like an, uh, a, there'll still be growth. Um, but it's tapered off. It's definitely pe- the, the novelty of like an online festival is starting to wear off and people are just like, can we just fucking go to a show now? Yeah, man. That's actually something that I had tweeted about today. I wanted to see what you thought about this, dude, actually. So, you know, I, 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 I've been starting to get some offers for like these limited capacity uh, shows like inside of club venues and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, I want to do them, but I feel like, you know, the heat that I'll catch online for doing them is just you know, not worth it at times, man. How do you feel about these, these clubs being these limited capacity shows? Um, I, it's, it's such a touchy subject, man. It's so uh, touchy, also, it, it's, but it's like, it's like, it, that's what's so crazy that it's so touchy. It's like, but these are just thoughts, like how people, cause everyone feels differently about them. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, Sure. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you where I'll I'll say this. This is where I stand on the issue. I believe in social distancing. I believe the science. I don't believe the president. I don't believe anything that the Republican Party is saying right now, like conservatives are saying right now. I think that their misinformation is fully just trying to deceive people to vote for Donald Trump a second time. But with that being said, I know a lot of musicians who aren't as fortunate as us and they make their show, they make their living show to show, you know, the kind of guys that are gigging every single weekend in the same town at the same clubs, they have residencies there, whatever. And this is a way a lot of people feed their families. So it's hard. It's, 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 uh, it's tough, man. I, I don't know. I feel like what I don't like to see is when there's promised social distancing and then there's not. Yeah. So I guess it's like if you're going to do it, you got to do it in a way that is like full, foolproof or at least really, really making an effort to actually implement it versus that shit that happened with the chain smokers where yeah. a bunch of people were supposed to stay in their cars, but they just used that like a parking lot and then fucking crowded the gate. Like, right. I don't know. That shit's fucked up. Yeah, I definitely feel like at that point they should definitely have had said something on the microphone. You know what I mean? Like, right. Like yeah. straight up. I know I would. I'd be like, yo, 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 you're not social distancing. Everyone fall back. And they're your fans, so they'll fucking they'll go back to their cars. Yeah, they'll pr- they'll pretty much listen to they'll listen to nobody. But if the if the guy on stage says something, they'll probably listen. You know what I mean? So you'll be in the club. You'll be like, nope. Hey, you, y'all two are too close. You pull the music down. You guys Don't are you? Too, you guys are sitting too close. It's like it's like two dudes hold hands. I'm like, stop that, and they think it's like a homophobic thing. But I'm just trying to stop the coronavirus spread. <laughs> it's you're just, like, no, and then no, I'm canceled. No, not because you're not because you're gay. Because yeah. you're, it's bad corona behavior. Yeah, and then I'm just canceled for trying to be on top of the germs. <laughs> That's it. 
you know, you can, I mean, listen, it's kind of hard these days. You know, you get canceled for pretty much anything. So you might as well get canceled trying to, you know, stop a, a pandemic. That's right. a good way to get canceled. Yeah, I, I, I definitely. There's definitely a lot worse ways to get canceled. That's for damn sure. There's a lot worse ways. Yeah, for sure. Um, catch me up on some of the EDM drama. What's happening? What's what's going on in the streets? What's going on in these streets? All right, so uh, Bass Nectar got canceled. You know, uh, I mean, I saw you, that. There was, like, there was like there was like audio. There was audio messages and shit, right? Yeah, you okay. know, he, he he you know, it's pretty easy not to bang anybody under the age of eighteen, but apparently not. You know what I'm saying? Okay. You know, also treating people bad. Uh, some, ev you know, there's just evidence about people. There's evidence about Space Jesus. Uh, who else, dude? Everyone's just, you know, everyone's just on their toes. <laughs> right, right, right. So these are all sexual assault and like rape allegations, right? Yeah, and also just being uh, just a bad human being as well. You know, and just not treating women. A lot of them is just m mistreating women. And uh, yeah. That's no good, man. It's no, dude. It's like, didn't your mama fucking teach you how to, how to, you know, treat a lady, you know, be a gentleman? God damn. I mean, you know what? It's crazy because it's that whole like rock star mentality where, where people feel invincible, like they can do anything, like they're a god. And it, it's, it's not just that. It's that mixed with someone who's a fucking dork and like a loser. <laughs> And then you put the two halves together and then there's this massive overcompensation of like, I'm the shit. No, I'm the fucking shit. And yeah, they use people for power and like use other people's bodies to feel better about themselves. So th that, those are the cancellations that I'm like, yeah, cool. Yeah, me like, too. Awesome. awesome. Yeah, we don't need Go you around cancel. here. You can't be doing shit like that. You know what I'm right. saying? Cancellation yeah. based off of opinions. That's the one thing that I'm kind of like, eh. Right, we right. We need other opinions. We need them. You know. Yeah, that's that's something that I'm really big on. Is like, you know, you mean you. You know, we don't know each other that well, and I guarantee there's some things that we don't agree on, right? But I still fucking yeah. have a beer with you. You know what I'm saying? So it's just like, you know, like. <laughs> Man, me and my it was me and my homie, uh, and then his dad was in town, and so we were all having a like little bonfire out back of my house, and him and his dad were getting into it, like Paul. Politically, like the dad is very pro-police, very Republican, and then the son and, and, and me are like farther on the left. And so they're getting into it and it's getting kind of heated and I'm interrupting them. I'm like, yo, 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 like don't, like don't let it get too much. And they both stopped and faced me and we're like, oh, no, 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 no. This is just how we talk. Like they're like, we're not fighting. This is just like our discourse. Yeah. And I was like, that's dope. Like, yeah. <laughs> the, the, like they're they know that they disagree and they love each other. Obviously, a father and son, and it's not some weird father and son shit. Like they like are super tight, but they are on completely opposite ends of the political spectrum, and we're having like an active debate about it. And there was some shit that we were saying that was like <laughs> persuading him and like helping him understand because he's a boomer, you know. Yeah. Like he's on Facebook, he gets everything, all of his information from Facebook, so. <laughs> We were like helping him understand shit and he was listening to us and like learning from it. So I feel like that's where the opinion cancellation thing kind of becomes a problem where it's like, yo, we need people to ex be able to express their opinions honestly and then have a healthy discourse about said opinions, you know? Yeah, I mean, you got to get people learned too, you know what I'm saying? And if people are too afraid to have an opinion, they won't change the opinion. They'll just fucking put it in. It'll just be some secret 4chan shit, you know? 
And also, there's also some people out there, it doesn't matter what the fuck type of evidence you have, you're not going to change their opinions. But it doesn't make them bad per people or cancelable. It just makes them believe in something that they believe in. That's totally cool. Dude, absolutely. You know, And as long as that, that belief isn't harming other people, I'm totally fine with it. If that belief is causing harm, then I'm like, then I'm, I'm, I'm not into it. Right. There was something that you had said in there that I like, I kind of like giggled about. You're like, yeah, they're father and son, not on some weird father and son shit. I'm like, what, what does that mean? <laughs> you said, what? So, you said, oh, some yeah, they're father, father and son, and son not on some weird father and son shit. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa what do you mean by that? <laughs> I'm okay. So what I mean by that is that they have like a healthy father son relationship. It's not like he's like, um, like alienated from him or like they, okay. they don't talk or they're not close or they haven't talked in years and they're, getting back together for this like right. they're a very tight-knit family that they're like the 1950s norman rockwell drawing painting of a family this this family is and i love them because like my family's not like that at all i grew up in like a super dysfunctional artist family everyone in my family is a creative in some way or another so like all these emotions and all this shit and we love each other but it's just like a fucking circus <laughs> these guys are way more like straighty 180 like we're a family hey (laughs) hi jane hi the son's name is scott it's like hi scott you know like they're just a very traditional family but they disagree as much as two people can on the political spectrum and um and it was cool to see them have a uh a disagreement and a discourse that got that even got heated at points but the moment I was like, hey, guys, break it up, they were like, they both stopped and looked at me in the same way and were like, oh, no, 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 this is just how we talk. <laughs> like, bro, you chill. We're, we're just yeah, talking here. We're, we're, straight up. We're, we're bonding over here, bro. Why are you intervening? <laughs> right, straight up. They were like, they were just like, yo, like, they're like, just so you know, like, this, that's not a fight. Like, you'll know when we're having a fight. I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, right. That's awesome, man. Well, look. I never, I never write questions for these podcasts, okay? I don't write questions. I just like to get to know people and talk to them a little bit. But, you know, there's stuff that I'm genuinely curious about, right? And, you know, because I want to take it back for you. Because I remember seeing you whenever you were in Philosodomus. It was 2013 at Buku Fest, okay? And it yeah. was it was actually my first festival and uh, first electronic event to go to, right? And I just remember, you know, trap. I didn't know trap was like a new thing. I mean, everything at that point was new to me, right? Everything was new. I remember I remember what was getting me was like the haze in the back of the songs. I was like, bro, those are lit for some yeah. reason. Those got me hyped. Yeah. But like yeah. I want to talk about a little bit of that journey to like, you know, whenever you like you said, you weren't trying to make electronic music. You were just making hip hop beats. And then it got it transitioned into the electronic world. You know what I'm saying? Like right. what was that like and and how was the electronic world kind of perceiving that and taking that in the very beginning? Um, it was a bizarre journey. I'll try to, re- I'll try, it's been so long now and I'll try to recollect, you know, exactly what I was feeling and what was going, what was going on. Yeah. Um, Flostradamus had been around for, uh, for almost seven years at the point of trap. So like when you saw us in 2013, we've been a group for eight years and, you know, people knew us a, a little bit. We were mostly known for like parties and mashups and doing like our, our DJ sets were more successful and famous than our original music. But that was just the landscape at the time. If you had a dope party in your city, you could actually tour that party, you know, like 
you know, I don't know, like brownies and lemonade is an example. Like, you, you know, like that's, that is an example of the contemporary version of what it was like in like 2005, six, seven, when flaws first came on the scene. But as the landscape shifted and EDM became a thing in America, electronic music became a thing and a, a popular genre in America, the festival culture, electronic festival culture started to bubble. We weren't a part of that at all. We weren't included in that conversation. And so we started just, just sort of slow down and not getting booked as much, you know, sort of getting replaced by like dubstep DJs, you know? And so we took a year to just be like, what are we going to do? And Kurt was living in Brooklyn and I was living in Chicago and we didn't really even talk much. Um, but I was learning how to produce. I had never really produced. I'd made mashups, but I'd never like made like beats or anything really. And so I started making stuff and just like fucking around with sampling weird shit. I was listening to a lot of hard style. So I was like sampling all the hard style shit I was listening to. I was listening to a lot of like Arab music and Lunas and shit that I was like inspired by Clams Casino. Like I was like listening to these kind of like guys that were doing electronic and hip hop production in a, in a different way. Yeah. And I felt really inspired by them. So I kind of took that, what I learned there from listening to them and, and, and put that on top of like really maximal hard style. You know, a lot of them were doing it over like really minimal kind of like uh, alternative sounding like weird electronica. And I was like, let me make it for stadiums. And so that's where you got total recall and the X uh, album and that stuff. So I, so I was making these tracks. I was sending them out to like homies so sending it to like Nick Catch Dubs and A-Track and Paul Devro, who at the time was um, at Mad Decent. And Paul was like, oh, I fucking love all this stuff. Like we have a new offset of Mad De Decent called Jeffries, um, where it's just free music. We're just like releasing free edits and bootlegs and random shit. Like we would love to put this out. And I was like, all right, cool. There's a home for it already. Like, great. So you know, the, Jeffries fucked with it. They released uh, the Total Recall EP, which was like Total Recall, Mota, and like one other song. And I put it up on our SoundCloud. They put it up on theirs and it like fucking blew up. So like, our, as far as like artists to fans, it was dope. But with any new genre, all of the like musicians, like a majority of the musicians were like, like hating on it straight away. And one of the biggest things that happened was uh, Total Recall was, was a Headhunters sample. And Headhunters was like, no, I, I don't approve this. The hardstyle community came at us. People just were attacking us. So it was kind of amazing. Like as soon as the shit like took off and people started to engage with it and it got popular enough to like break out, all of like electronic EDM tried to close the door on it and shut, shut it down. And... It was amazing because all that did, all that drama and shit did was bring more eyes on the, the songs. And when people heard the music, they fucked with it. Yeah. So it was, it was cool. It was like the genre started, it got fucking collapsed upon even like Lunas and the people that I was inspired by were hating on it and being like, trap is dead. This shit is not like, this isn't cool. This is like the lame version of it because it wasn't like cool enough for them. And so it was like from every angle, it was trying to get shut down, but it connected so much with the people and the, and the fans that it just fucking blew up. 
So it was interesting. And then, you know, I, I don't know. I'm probably getting off topic of your original question. No, it's actually, that you're, was, you're right on it. Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah, great, you're right great. on so it. That, yeah. that, that, was, that was like the inception of it. That was how it was received. And, you know, what we did with it was just go direct to fan. We weren't EDM artists. We weren't in the EDM world. So we didn't have those connections to worry about. When like EDM artists started hating on us, it wasn't like there was any bridges to be burned. We knew A-Track from fucking back in the day. We knew Diplo from back in the fucking day. It wasn't like we knew them as artists in EDM capacity. We knew them as artists that would play our little garage parties that we would throw in Chicago with 100 people in an alley that would get shut down by the police. Like yeah. That was the relationship we had to those people that are now, and at that time, were the gatekeepers to, to electronic music, or at least the cooler side of it. So once those guys signed on, once we had A-Track playing our stuff, Diplo playing our stuff, Major Lazer, obviously the original Don remix was huge for us. Like once those people were on board, then there was no stopping us and we just fucking took over. You know what's really crazy about those songs that you mentioned? It's like you play those in a festival setting now, and they still pop off. You know what I mean? Like it's just because it's like that minimal, but like still energetic. And it's just got like that authenticity it's just it's just fucking it's it's fun man still to this day i like to say man i'll i'll argue the there's something to be said about creativity in electronic music and when you take it away and you focus more on the technical aspect of it you might be able to make something that like slaps in that moment Cause you're almost able to like sonically recreate something so accurately. Like, you know, Oh, if I'm an amazing producer engineer and I listen to a rhythm song, I can, I can recreate it, but always the creative shit is what lasts over the time. Mm -hmm. You can't create a classic without doing something completely out of the box. And, and that is, you know, what that original Don remix was. It was something that had never been done before on that level. It was outside of the box. It was, I took a risk to, to make it and here we are. And I, and I'm, and when I made that record, I knew nothing about production. I knew nothing at all about the technical side of it. I just was like, I want it to sound like this. I like slammed 808 samples, like Lex Luger fucking 808 samples over it. And just like everything was peaking. Everything was like stupid and looked stupid. And Kurt came in and mixed it. And I kept having him be like, no, I, I was like, I was like, yo, like it needs to sound shittier. <laughs> it sounds too good. That was the biggest, that was my biggest thing with him is like working with Kurt is like, he's a really good engineer. He's like super, super, super into like downloading whatever the newest VSTs are. Like he's that's his, that's his hobby is collecting that shit and shout out Kurt. He, he, he did a great mix down, but what I would end up doing is stemming it out with like three stems i would mix the drums and stem the drums and send them to him i would mix all the leads and send them to him and then i would take any fx and i'd stem those and send them to him and i'd let him mix those because the level every everything was hitting where i wanted it to hit and then he would add whatever he'd add his his secret sauce to to fucking make it sound you know festival ready but for me i there was so much control i needed over the mix to make it sound shitty like <laughs> like those like you know not side chaining correctly or just like not eqing the low end out of certain things might sound good a little bit of digital distortion just a little bit you know or even a lot even yeah. like an overwhelming amount of distortion or something 
where like someone would be like, did you, I, I remember like when we first started touring, uh, like after the trap era, people would come up and be like, did you mean to have that that loud or da da da? Like producers would. And I'd be like, yes, fuck yes. <laughs> fuck yeah, like, putting the da- Putting the damn sun, where'd you find this in there after the drop was so different. You don't hear that in, in any, I mean, <laughs> any song before or after. If it's a damn song, where'd you find this? Or like some kind of sample, it's on beat. It like is part of it, you know? Mm-hmm. There's a fill or something. It's like, damn, son, where'd you find this? Like, it's like a part of the song. Yeah. That was just like, I just took the sample from like a ripped, like MP3 of something. I found it in and just like chucked it in there. Dude, so that that's that's wild. So did you ever get in like, especially back then, like, even now, illegally sampling is so much fun, and you can get like the dopest stuff when unclear samples. Did you ever have anybody come at you any, for anything for some uncleared samples, or were you able to get a lot of things cleared? Uh, no, most of it was people coming at us at things um, like for the hard style stuff that we were sampling in the beginning, and even that stuff was just on SoundCloud, and this was before SoundCloud. Would, SoundCloud wouldn't delete shit. Mm. The the we were in the the peak heyday of soundcloud where you could become a fucking festival artist like flostradamus literally built a vegas residency level multi-million dollar crazy career off of soundcloud like that was it before Mm -hmm. spotify before whatever so the artist came at us and the most they could do was a cease and desist so you would delete the song off of soundcloud but it was already out there. It was like on YouTube. It was like there was Mediafire links and shit. This was like back just like, I don't know. It's crazy. It was only eight years ago. But the internet was like the wild, wild west compared to what it is now. It's so police now. Yeah. And algorithms are so much better at noticing a sample that even if it's pitched, like they'll still catch shit. So we didn't really have a lot of flack for samples except for from the actual artists themselves. And even when they would do that, it would bring so much attention to us from the drama of like them calling us out on like Twitter that it was beneficial. But now it's just like a fucking algorithm silently takes it down in the night and you get a yeah. strike against your SoundCloud and like you lose fans. It's, it's yeah. super whack. Yeah, dude. I, honestly, like I have so many tracks that like, <laughs> that labels are like, yo, we cannot release this right now. I'm like, fuck it, I'll release it then. It's dope. Just because sometimes I like, you know, like I sampled like Goku doing a Kamehameha. You know what I mean? Like that shit sounds yeah. gnarly over a drop, man. Oh my God. It's so stupid. It's so fucking retarded. Uh, that's not the word I'm going to use. It's so stupid. <laughs> I'm not going to get canceled. It's so fucking dumb. Like, like, and it's it's holding the creativity of music back so far to not have a good sort of um, precedent for sample clearances. There needs to be some sort of like payout system that is just, this is the law. You can sample anything and the artist that you sample makes X. Yeah. It could be 80%, it could make whatever, but just a precedent where sampling is embraced and everyone's making money. Shit, the label makes money. The label that it was initially putting that record out gets money. money. And if that label's defunct, or if the fucking, you know, person died, their estate gets money, you know? Apparently the the Amen break, um, I forget what the name of that band was, but the the there's a song called Amen, and the break in it, the break beat, is the foundation for drum and bass. The boom, boom. It's fucking in every, I mean, you've heard it a million times. Every drum and bass song. 
and someone made like a GoFundMe or some sort of like campaign to get the family of that drummer money because that because that sample was used royalty fee free so much and so people donated and i think the thing made like a million dollars like yeah that's fucking gnarly man hell yeah you know, you know what i'm saying but if it was just something automatically that shouldn't even need to exist in 2020 there there could be an algorithm that is like sample detected it's from a fucking wu-tang song and they take a percentage automatically from the song and they send it to fucking whoever, whoever it needs to go to. That'd be super gnarly. But th- what, what another thing that's super fucked up is actually the percentage that the artist is getting. You know what I mean? There's been a lot of stuff coming out about how much Spotify is making off of artists and how much we're actually making on each song. It's super fucked up. I posted a meme recently that was like, like landmark moment. Spotify pays first artists $100. Like, <laughs> or no, no, no. Oh no. It was like Spotify pays first $100 to artists. Like it's so it's fractions of a fractions of a, a fractions of a fraction of a penny. But here's the end. Here's the end of that conversation. Making money off of music isn't, it hasn't been a thing for a long time. Yeah. Like even in 2010, post Napster world, like bands tour to make money, artists tour to make money, but there's plenty of money to be made if you're a successful artist and Spotify gatekeeping, who gets listened to, which kind of artists get listened to algorithms, gatekeeping, what you hear next, all of that kind of shit and the playlisting and all that world is really stifling as to creativity and all the artists that are out there right now. Whereas I felt like SoundCloud was way more democratic in its listenership and and the way that it would promote artists. It wasn't so much like, here's our agenda. We're going to promote this artist. Spotify is the new radio. Spotify feels like fucking your pop station in whatever city you live in. It's like Live Nation is controlling what you hear (laughs) and promoting the tours. It's starting to feel like a monopoly. Whereas back in the Spotify days or back in the SoundCloud days, rather like, you know, artists who were like Hoochie, like an artist like Hoochie, who is, who is just, just a small little underground artist could blow the fuck up just off of how dope they were. There was no crazy marketing campaign or budget or like, Oh my God, I got to suck fucking the head of, playlisting at fucking Spotify's dick to get on the worldwide playlist or whatever the fuck. There was none of that. It was just, it was just a voting system on if you were dope or if you weren't. Yeah. And that don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. It'll keep going. That that camera. I'll switch to another one. It's good. That was that at the time was, Oh shit. I got a new angle. Whole new (laughs) angle. Um, That at the time I felt like was really sick. Now it feels like it's not so much. And I feel like the music and the creativity is suffering. I know as an, I, I'll speak just for myself as an artist, man, I'm like, damn, I got to like go to splice and get like some sort of like generic sound that sounds close to the sample I want to like, uh, could you imagine a Kanye album? Could you imagine a fucking Kanye or Wu-Tang album where instead of those samples, they had to use things that were like close to yeah, like, right. and we're like, and we're like studio perfect. Like, I don't know, man. Splice Sounds got some gnarly me. ass samples, though. They they do. No, no, no. Like shout out Splice. Shout, shout out, out Splice, Splice got, dude. Making life some, easier. They really do. They really do, and they come in handy. But what I'm saying is, 
nothing beats the original sample. Nothing. Yeah. It's like when I say I want my music to be shitty. It's like when I say I want that that song to sound shitty in a way. Like you can per, you can make it sound shitty intentionally. You can like try and and get it there, but unless it's what the artist actually intended, then it's not it's not the same. It's it's like I've had samples replayed and I have to go back and I'm like too perfect. Too perfect. Make it like shittier. looser and like shittier like whether it be the audio quality or whether it be the timing and shit like it's like nah no 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 you got to get it and so i don't know it always it all a, a a replayed sample is like when you have a stunt double sitting next to the brad pitt like, yeah <laughs> it's like which one do you want do you want brad pitt or do you want the stunt double obviously or the brad, brad pitt, pitt impersonator <laughs> You obviously want Brad Pitt. What 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 person out there does not want Brad Pitt? Okay. I I had a dream that I was in a mo- <laughs> I had a go. dream segue that I was in a movie <laughs> recently and I was hanging out with Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio. Fuck yeah. And they were and it, and it was really it was a really endearing and nice dream cuz they were just like boys. Like they were like so like bromance and I was like this makes me happy. Like these guys are just like two normal dudes. They just, That's awesome, just enjoy dude. each other's company. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know where that story was going to go. I had a dream about Brad like, Pitt. Then, I, was I was like, like <laughs> and then I sucked him off. That was, yeah. And then that I sucked him off and I woke up so happy. <laughs> I was so stoked. That's where I thought that story was going to go, man. <laughs> well, look, did we talk, you know, we talked about, you know, whenever those gatekeepers were kind of starting to let you in with the trap music stuff, man. But I want to talk about a little bit whenever it started expanding. You started hearing it everywhere, man, where you're like other artists are like now making it big off of, you know, doing exactly what you had did and just, you know, making these big festival yeah. trap bangers. Like, what was that like whenever you started hearing it from other people? That shit was amazing. Yeah. Like just individually, I, I only speak for myself in this situation, but it's like I knew the circumstances under which I made those songs. I knew I made that shit like in my bedroom, in my bedroom for fucking real. And so I feel like every bedroom producer who's heard their shit on like EDC or on the radio or whatever, or had someone big make an edit of their shit has the same feeling. It's like, I don't know. It's like, is this reality? Is this yeah. really it? And I don't know what that feels like now because obviously there's so much, there's so much content. There's so many musicians and so whatever that someone can make an edit with your song and it doesn't mean that you're going to be successful or even be known for it. But at that time, I feel like if someone made an edit with your song or DJ started playing your shit, you, you blew up off that. Yeah. So I kind of, I kind of like, you know, seven years into the game was like, damn like i was about to throw him throw in the hat and just be like i'm done with this you know like the dj shit's kind of over i'll go another direction and now all of a sudden i'm about to start touring the world and like going crazy so it was dope it was super dope and like shout out diplo shout out diplo shout, shout out a track yeah because those dudes had really made it into that world they had broken out of the like justice era of electronic music in america because electronic music was existing in america you had soul wax you had justice you had hollertronics with diplo and low budget you had a lot of a track you had people that were doing it 
uh, I Heart Comics, Frankie Chan. You had uh, Dim Mock. There were there was the existence of it, but it was so underground. It was yeah. such a small, small, small percentage of the market share of music. Pop music was still the big shit. It was still it was Fergie then. That was like who people were like, "Damn, y'all heard that new Fergie?" Like that was it. Like you know, said, Yo, now that like new- you heard, now that like you hear about that wet ass pussy. Right. No, 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 no. That that no. wet ass Fergie, that shit snapped. Now and it's so all like, about that wet ass pussy, dude. Times have changed. Ooh, but that song though, man. So gnarly, so and, hot. And and that sample, that sample makes that fucking beat. There's some hoes in this house. This that's some ghetto house, Chicago, Midwest. That's some DJ Dion. That's some D, the uh, DJ Godfather. There's some hoes in this house. I thought it was whores. I, I thought it said there's some hoes. I thought, I thought it was, there was hoes in this house. Or is it hoes? Is it hoes or hoes? It's hoes. It's okay, hoes. Okay. But but hoes is like the, I don't know, it's like the modern interpretation of it. But that sample is is used. That's not a recreation. That's not a replay. That's not some shit from Splice. That's a fucking sample. And just because, you know, if I'm sure if I made a, a beat that got used by megan the stallion and fucking cardi b the label would be like whatever they're gonna like, get it cleared yeah they got the cut, they're they're gonna get the it cleared. Check. yeah yeah <laughs> but for for us normal guys that are just trying to put music out for ourselves they're not fucking with that shit whatsoever so you know when you have those those kind of records popping off you see how samples are treated and i guarantee you if you had just some meat like me being like there's some holes in this house. Like trying to recreate that vocal, it would not slap the same. It needs to be the sample. The sample makes the beat. It does, absolutely. 100%. What was your question, though? You asked me a question. That I, got I don't know. I don't Who, know. Knows? Who knows? Who knows? Dude? Like I said, I have nothing prepared. Like, you know what I'm saying? This is just me. You got coming a bald in. eagle. You got Spider Man. You got- I got uh, Drew Brees and Daryl Dixon. Okay, Drew Brees and, and who's that? Daryl who? Daryl Dixon from The Walking Dead. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. I didn't, I didn't watch that show. Didn't oh, I'm a one. massive, massive Walking Dead fan, dude. Still to this day. Chandler, what's the dude's name? Chandler, Chandler, Chandler Riggs. Riggs. Mm-hmm. Huge Flostradamus fan. Oh yeah, like, yeah, huge yeah. EDM yes. fan. Huge, Bruh, I met him hella times. Like, I, it was funny because I didn't, I didn't even watch you that show, know. so I did not know him <laughs> at all. And like, kicked it with him hella times, and I think he enjoyed the. Neither did Kurt. I think he enjoyed the fact that we didn't know him and we're like not starstruck at all. We were like, what up? Like, what up? Like 15 year old child. Like, and There's a picture the... out there with y'all, isn't there? Oh, guaranteed. Uh, yeah, th- I think I've seen it, dude. I, I, I he know was I was a hoodie a... boy. Like he was yeah. like a hoodie boy. He had the hoodie. I actually remember seeing him wearing the hoodie. It was him and his girlfriend yeah. at the time going to the show. No, man. I fucking, like I said, massive fan of that show. And I love Chandler Riggs, man. Okay. That's crazy! I love you didn't know. I, I <laughs> love, awesome. I, dude. I didn't That's know. Awesome, I love zombies. I love zombies. And after he started following us, I started trying to watch it, and I didn't end up fucking with that show. Not because it wasn't a good show, but because you know you got to find a show at the right time in your life where yeah. you have time to like consume the 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 content, and it wasn't the right time. Yeah, <laughs> that's fucking awesome, though, dude. <laughs> dude, so you go from this. You know the journey. The journey continues. Okay, the journey continues to where you're starting right. to make these massive, like very aggressive. Because it started to be like, you know, in the beginning, it felt like it was more of these, you know, 
minimal experimental things that just were just hype but then it started getting a little bit of the aggressor type of trap to where you had like mosh pit and then like prison riot dude so right. like whenever y'all were going and doing some of those were you going into them with the mindset of like yo we're about to make some motherfuckers go crazy like we're about to make some people hurt with this shit with this right that i mean that was when i took my producer hat off and took my like executive producer diddy i put my diddy hat on like you know, Mosh Pit was the, the instrumental for Mosh Pit for the most part was produced by Ricky Remedy. Um, fucking, uh, what's it called? Uh, Prison Riot was a collaboration with GTA where they did a, a, a large part of the like workload on that track. And so I started to like see the landscape get harder and harder. And instead of me trying to make music that wasn't necessarily authentic to me, I started finding producers kind of like a Khaled I started finding producers and finding people who could achieve that with my sense and with like the Flostradamus sense of ability. Yeah. So typically what would happen on those kind of tracks like Mosh Pit, um, the collab with Nightmare, uh, uh, which is uh, Lighters Up, uh, any of uh, Prison Riot. Oh, Troy is Boy, that... the web one was fucking amazing. Okay, so I'll tell, you the, I'll tell you the story on a couple of those. So, so um Mosh Pit, I found Ricky Remedy on Instagram or Twitter. He sent a bunch of beats, and that was one of the beats I picked out. And like we made a whole we made a whole bunch of shit together. We got together and just like cooked up. Um then GTA were just homies of ours from like already. Like we were playing a bunch of their existing music in our sets, and so we just became friends because this was a time when no one had a following. So like GTA were like upstarts, Flusterdamas were upstarts. Everyone was just trying to like be like, hey, we make the same kind of shit. Like yeah. Oh, you, what's your name? Bauer? Oh, cool. Like, oh, wow. let's, 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 let's make some stuff. Oh, what's your Gmail? Okay, cool. No, no, no. Like, we're literally just like, what's your AIM? <laughs> what's your aim? Yo, for real, for real. That was at the time. It was like at the tail end of aim. Like, fucking RL, whatever. Like, in my inbox, I got, I posted pictures, like screenshots of it being like, hey, this is my song. It's called the Harlem Shake. Like, literally, people being like, yo, here's the, a demo I'm working on. But, anyways, GTA kind of fit into that category where we'd come up with them. And we're like, yo, you guys could kill it with this song. So that that happened. But typically what it is, is they would do the workload. And then I would come in at the very end and just add my little drum fills and my little kind of like sauce. Um, the Troy Boy record, though, was special. That was something where I'm a turntablist like mm -hmm. before, like I got into DJing by just learning how to scratch. And I was really into like scratch music growing up, like in high school and shit. And there was every like scratch record had this sample of uh, these guys saying one, two, three, four, five, six, do it. Bam. And it would be hit. It would always be that with a stab. One, two, three, four, five, six, do it. Jam. And like, you know, you could be like, flip it. One, two, two, three, three, two, three, three. You know, like just like freak whatever that sample is. And so I sent Troy Boy a beat that was just like one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, four, five, six, do it. Boom, 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 Hell yeah. Just like super, super fucking stripped down, like basic shit. Just that sample and an 808 and a fucking snare. And he was like, okay, bet, I got you. And he sent he sent back. In essence, what was the song that we released? Minus my last little like fucking flares and then Kurt's mix. So I came back in and I fucking edited out some pieces and like added my little stutters and my little like kind of signature floss like awkwardness. 
Yeah. I I made it. I like in the parts of the song where you have to like catch it, catch the beat again. That was me. And then Kurt mixed it, and it fucking ended up being an anthem, man. Sound clash is like it's amazing. I don't know. So it's it's not not to pat myself and Troy on the back, but that's one of the ones, man. Yeah, I agree. You can, anybody, you can play that song. You can play that song today. That song's like six years old. You can play most of those songs. You know, ninety percent of those songs. He's he's an animal, bro. Straight up, just animal Bruh. in the studio for show. Stupid. And one of the nicest, most humblest, fucking most down to earth homies ever. That's Legit. Awesome. That's awesome, yeah. dude. Have anybody, has anybody ever told you you look a little bit like David Blaine? Bruh, no, I never got that, but I thought that myself. Yeah, you look like David Blaine, man. Bruh, people used to tell me Terrence Howard, and I was like, uh, I don't know. David see it. Blaine for sure. David Blaine for sure, man. For sure. <laughs> like, awesome. I'm gonna be like, is this your card? No. Look in your butt crack. <laughs> go watch Go Girl with that. I'm like, damn. Yeah. <laughs> did you see his shit he did recently? He fucking dropped from those balloons. Yes, dude. That was gnarly, man. That was He's in, he's, what a insane. G. he's insane. <laughs> he's what insane. He's insane. Right. Yeah. He's absolutely insane. Yeah. He's, he's he like well, he went beyond magician a long time ago, man. Now he's just like a fucking like performance artist. Yeah. Right. Dude, yeah. so uh what was it like getting Lil John on track? Amazing. He's the yeah. most amazing like fucking dude ever. I was kind of half wishing he would be like the Chappelle skit where like when he's not on mic, he's like, Well, actually, madam. <laughs> The turn down for what beat? Like this, is like whatever. But no, he's not. He's like he's like super crunk and just like again the nicest dude ever. Like the fucking most down to earth, humblest dude was open for whatever we sent him and whatever we like worked on him with and, or worked on with him. And like yeah, I have nothing but good things to say about him. I didn't get to spend much time with him, um, but I'll say that Waka is somebody I got to spend a lot of time with and actually get in the studio with. And that motherfucker is, again, super humble, super dope. But I want to say this. Creatively, he took so many risks that people didn't give him credit for. Like, hard in the paint is still hard in the paint. If you listen to hard in the paint right now, it's still a mosh pit worthy song. Yeah. And the reason for that is he took a risk to make that song. He wasn't following any kind of shit that was already happening. It was just a thing that he did in that moment that is really organic and of that time. And he got a lot of flack for it. People put that, that song came out and it's like, it came out at a time where it was like more boom bappy and hip hop was starting to get a little bit more J. Coley and like more conscious. And he was like, oh no, we're going the opposite end of the we're spectrum. We're getting turned. We're getting turned. It's co- it's, and it's just turned. Yeah. Like it's so just it, that. It, yeah, yeah. You know, you got Kendrick and stuff where like it, it melds together, and you're like, "This song will make a mosh pit," but also he's like telling you how to cure like some deep shit, some like deep... emotional problems. Yeah, yeah. How, <laughs> like, how we do... gonna be all right? <laughs> you know, like you're like, <laughs> you're like you're like you're like I'm turned to this, and I'm in a mosh pit, but also at the same time, like I feel hopeful for the future. Waka <laughs> was more like dystopian and apocalyptic, where it's like I don't feel hopeful for the future, and I love it, you know. <laughs> and so I just want to shout out Waka because making those records with Steve Aoki and making those records with us in the early days, he risked a lot, yeah, and he took those risks like without giving a fuck. So as as a as a lyricist, don't even look at him through that frame. 
but as an artist and a performer, like one of the goats easily for me. Yeah, I agree on that, man. How does does one get in touch with people like a Waka Flocka or or a Lil John? Like, how does one even, is that through labels or was that with with like y'all just sending them tracks or them hearing it at a festival? Bruh, it was just off of the name. It was just off of the name. Like, um, off the name Flashadamas? Yeah, just I think I think that Waka we were hooked up with through either first from um, uh, it's like his his Instagram's good job first, but he used to be ca- be part of FKI, mm-hmm. and that was like he was producing stuff for Waka, producing stuff for Two Chains at that time, like just an Atlanta producer that was a fan of ours, and and then uh, Heroes and Villains HXV, mm-hmm. like uh, Daniel from Heroes and Villains was a fan of ours, just on some musical shit, like. And shout out to Daniel, by the way, because before we were making like EDM trap, he was also, he was doing like these really electronic and like dubstep heavy remixes of like Roscoe Dash and like these kind of weird songs so, or like, uh, like ATL, <laughs> ATL uh, trap songs. And, that's yeah, a, that's a fucking, you're right. That is a weird thing to remix for a dubstep track. Dude, for real. But he, he was just ahead of the curve. He was literally just, just a little too early on it. And we were kind of doing a similar thing and hit it at the at the right time. So we immediately became homies. Shout out Daniel, here's some villains. But it was like those connections, like Daniel was an like aside from being a DJ, he's also an engineer at like some of the biggest like street rap, like trap rap studios. And same with first, with like being associated with Waka and whatever. So these guys becoming fans made it so we could walk into those rooms and just be immediately accepted. So that's yeah. that's how we did it. That's not the only way to do it. But like when labels make it happen, it's always forced and weird. Yeah. When when an artist who like like say 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 you're producing for a rapper, you like another artist, you show them to the rapper and the rapper likes them. That is that is like for me the ideal intro- introduction. Yeah, it's natural. It's, yeah, it's not like be on this beat because you're on the same label. It's like be on this beat because you chose it. Like you chose the artist, you know? Yeah. It's like I fuck with you, you fuck with me, let's do it. Straight up. Yeah. That's how that's how I feel like I wish like getting artist features or were more like that to where it was like, um, you know, maybe like an EDM artist is getting like a rapper on and it's like, you know, now it's like, okay, yeah, you gotta pay me five grand for the feature or whatever. But I wish it was more like, yo, I fuck with that beat heavily and I like I like this is different. Let's do it. I wish that w- there was more of that. Yeah, you know, I like I said, back to Spotify and whatever, like the, the music industry is just not as democratic as it used to be. So there's not gonna be the natural spread of information and of music that that there once was you know and and hopefully hopefully there will be at some point in time everything goes in cycles yeah so like everything eventually comes back around and hopefully the second wave of like music renaissance is really cool but i've been waiting for it for a while you know because i like to say that's when i thrive mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> I, yeah. I thrive when creativity is king and like engineering takes the back seat and we haven't been in a moment like that for a minute, man. And especially EDM. Like, you have artists like 100 Gex and, like, kind of some weird shit that's happening outside of that. Like, even Caliucci's and uh, Slater and, like, sort of on the queer end of the spectrum, like, cool original shit. But on the straighty 180 EDM side, it's it's at the point where it's like, how hard can you go? 
Yeah. If that if that is the if that is the sort of like crux of the the, the world, how hard can you go? There's a there's a limit to it. Yeah. And eventually when it reaches that limit, it falls all the way back down to, to just like, okay, now we've gone as hard as we could possibly go for the, the technology. How creative can you go? That's why like the uh, like the weirder style of like bass music, like that whole Wakan vibe, like I feel like that's why a lot of those artists are starting to pop off because it's not like the rage in your face. It's more of like, uh, you know, just more of an idea, a cohesive idea. You know what I mean? Right. It's the, it's the counter product. It's the pendulum swinging back and forth. It's like you mm-hmm. got the hardest crazy festival shit. And there's going to be an answer to it on the other end of the spectrum. Yeah, that was actually something that's a good point. Something I did want to ask you, man. So, you know, hearing like the weirder trap stuff where you got like all the lost dogs, you know, like the easy bakes. Then you have like S fam who's kind of doing like a shitty version of it. So it's just like, you know, like, have you heard like this super weird, like down tempo, like trappy shit that's going on? Do you ever think like, fuck, bro, this kind of it kind of, you know, you impregnated that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. I, you know what? I, I wish I could say I was more up on it, but I'm so not on it. All I listen to is like rap shit now. Like I really just listen to like, you know, street rap and weird shit that comes through my inbox or comes through my lens. And then also a lot of soundtracks. I'm really listening to like a lot of like soundtrack music. I tend to not be super into and even going back in the day to like Flostradamus, whatever, I still was not really listening to a lot of trap music because I felt like it, it it took my inspiration and made it more referential as like, mm. I'm going to make something that sounds like this new trap artist. Like if I had gone and tried to make Troy boy sound or something, and that get yeah. some weird watered down version of it versus just listening to whatever I listen to and then applying like my shitty production style <laughs> to it, you know, <laughs> it's gotten um, better so over the, the years. Come on. You know, it's gotten hella good at this point. It's gotten a little better. <laughs> but but still but still not at the point where like you know like I don't know I'll go in the studio with someone like Wookie or I'll go in the studio with someone like Gammer who are like these they're the they're these hybrids of creative and engineer they're these hybrids of like they're super fucking creative and dope but they're also really on top of their sound and I'm sure you're an example or like there's a lot of people that you know where it's like they have really good ideas and they can also like mix a fucking track or like master something for you. Mm-hmm. So I go and watch them work and I'm just like, nah, I'm not there. Like <laughs> <laughs> I'm a, I'm a long way from that. So I still like to look at myself as a, as a shitty, uh, I'm a shitty artist. I like to put it at like, I would like to put it like I'm a, I'm just a weirdo with a laptop. I'm not actually a person. Like I'm not even a musician. I'm just like a person who has Ableton. Who's like fucking tool with it for long enough that I know how to make a beat. Um, but I'll say this, man, you know, with the stuff that's out there now and with the way that the music industry is now, I'm just, I'm just trying to have a good time. Yeah. I'm just trying to have fun. I'm fortunate enough to have made money off of music and made a living off of it for 10 years. Now I'm just going crazy, bro. I got, I, I got some crazy shit in the barrel. I got a whole, I got a whole EP of rap shit. Hold up. I just knocked the fucking fan out of here. I got a whole, I got a whole EP of rap shit that I'm going to drop next year. I'm, I was I was gonna drop it this summer, but this summer didn't exist. Yeah, like, right. It doesn't make sense to to drop something hot and then not be able to tour it. So I put the whole project on hold, you know. But behind the scenes, I'm still writing beats and still making shit. And the creativity and the ingenuity that I bought I brought to EDM is what I'm bringing to trap right now. My beats yeah. don't sound like 
you know, fucking Jetson made or fucking Metro Boomin or whatever, like my shit sounds weird. And if I can't be a weirdo in this space, like in the trap space, I'll be a weirdo in the rap space. You know, Hell so yeah. that's, that's that's where I'm at right now. That's what's up, dude. I've been working on a comedy album uh, for the last for for a little bit. You know, I, I do I do stand up comedy, and so I'm finding that I this didn't is know pro- that. Yeah, I'm finding that this is probably the hardest thing that I've ever done is make a comedy album because you know I've been making it where it's like you have to write a funny song, which that's honestly like the easiest part of it. But you have to write a funny song that's actually good, like that people like would even though like even though it's funny that they would still want to turn on in their car. So I've oh, I'm so like, not a stand up, not a stand up album, but like a comedy album, like yeah. Weird Al. Yes, exa- well, more like a more like a little dicky, but yeah, I do I do stand up, so I little thought it'd dicky. be really yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. So not, so, not be, so much parody. Yeah, so more of like actually like yeah, his is his stuff is like it's funny, but it's also very catchy and really good. And I'm finding yeah. that it's actually the hardest thing I've ever done is fucking this comedy album. I mean, I mean, honestly, if you listen back to if you listen back to like Eminem and shit, like that was even comedy. Like there was so so many of the punchlines. Sorry, I'm taking you to my kitchen now because I need to make another drink. Do your thing. So many of the What's so many of the punchlines. Uh, right now, I got a little bit of some passion fruit Lacroix. And some Tito's handmade USA. Okay, that's local. That's local. It's local and that's dude. only normally I'd be sipping on a beer, but your boy is on a diet right now. Your boy's trying to cut those calories. I'm on a calorie deficient diet right now. I only drink beer on the weekends now. That's what I'm trying to stick stick to. That's your that's your health regimen. <laughs> I mean, I'm very active. I exercise every day. It, but it's very recent, so it's just like you know. I'm trying. Bro, to but that up. shit does that shit doesn't matter at all if your diet's not right. Isn't that crazy? Like my crazy. My, my exercise game was it is still, but was like for the last couple of years, like super crazy, bro. I was like, you know, doing high intensity intervals, mixing that with weight training, mixing that with like I, I love to run, so I was doing like crazy cardio, and I saw no results because I would like do that and then like eat Burger King. Like I was eating like a fucking idiot. Like, oh, dude! <laughs> like, obviously, you're eating like an idiot if you eat Burger King. Burger King's the worst of the fast foods, in my opinion. Bro, oh my it's god, the worst. It was, it was so bad. I'll, I'll say this: Burger King was just an example I pulled off top. My real, okay. my real fucking shit is Taco Bell, and sure. like, yeah, straight up, man. I was like fourth meal. I would pull up late, you know. <laughs> Yeah, Taco Bell's where it's at, dude. You gotta get on that Whataburger game, bro. Okay, so I live in Chicago for a majority of the year right now, though, because of the pandemic. I'm out here in Michigan, and like the fast food out here is not. It don't hit. It don't yeah. hit at all. It's all fucking McDonald's, Wendy's, shit, and like truck stops, which is actually good for me because you know I'm trying not to eat that shit. And when you go and you have a McDonald's experience where it doesn't hit, oh, it's you're horrible. like. Oh, what did I do? What, what, what is wrong with me? <laughs> I'm, I'm, fu- I'm fucking a horrible person. You you I feel doing? dirty. You're like, I feel dirty after this. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I like go to church and start confessing my sins, and it's just me eating yeah. burgers, <laughs> <laughs> crying, yeah. just sobbing over your burger. Oh man, Dude, are you a are you a Bears fan? Mm. Casual. I'm. I, I didn't. I didn't. Um. I didn't play football growing up, so yeah. I'm a white. I'm a White Sox fan. I'm a big baseball guy. Yeah, what you think? What you thinking, man? You thinking Trubisky's gonna pull through, or, or Nick Foles? Or are you in it enough to know? 
Uh, who's those are the the quarterbacks? The quarterbacks, man. They brought in a seventy million dollar quarterback, but they're playing Mitchell Trubisky right now, and I'm just like, what the hell are y'all doing? You don't bring okay, in a so seventy million dollar quarterback to 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 promote competition. You're like, no, the, you know, that's usually your quarterback. Right, put him on the field. You know, I it's we've had su- such shitty quarterbacks for so long because mm-hmm. I I definitely was paying attention during the Jay Cutler era, and. It was crazy because he was getting paid so much money and he was so terrible. So yeah. it would, it, I don't know, you know, I, I, is the is the new guy, is the $70 million guy, is he a stud? No, so the new guy won a Super Bowl with the Eagles, right? Went to the Jaguars and the Jaguars traded his ass because he sucked. He sucked at the Jaguars. He just had a good year and won a Super Bowl. I don't know how. He had a really good year. And so the Jaguars got out of like a $90 million contract. It was now a $70 million now that's at the Bears. But now y'all are probably y'all probably have like almost $200 million just in contracts just for quarterbacks. And it's like, dude, y'all were y'all fucking up on that, man. So I'm waiting to see. I'm yeah. like, that's what I'm trying to see. It's like they played Mitchell Trubisky last weekend, but it's like, dude, y'all just paid another quarterback $70 million. Like, what are y'all doing? Y'all pay one y'all so play who, one so, of the so other. The- so the seventy million dollar guy is the one that won a Super Bowl with the Eagles. Yes. What's his name? Uh, his Nick Foles and and Mitchell. Oh, Nick Foles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. And so Mitchell Trubisky, I think he's like on his fourth or fifth year, and he just hasn't been good. But you know, there. I, I, I don't know, man. That's just that's. I didn't know if you kept Bro, up with it or not. In Chicago sports in general, minus the one World Series that the Cubs won in the in the last like fifteen years, everyone's been in the middle. They've been like 500 teams, you know, like like 500 average. And it's the worst place to be stuck in for any kind of team because you don't get a good draft pick. And you're not you're not shitty enough to get a good draft pick. You're right. You're not good enough to get to the fucking playoffs even or even like out of the first round of the playoffs. And so you got the Bulls. I'll say this. I, I, I don't fuck with hockey at all like literally at all but the but the, but the blackhawks have been like a fucking like they were like a dynasty you know so like in that time in that window of time they were winning stanley cups but i don't care i'm not watching that shit at all like for me the super bowl if the bears won the super bowl you know how fucking crazy that would be yeah. when the white Sox won the world series you know how crazy that is when the cubs won the world series that was like global news yeah like so it's like those kind of sports i'm like bro we've just been Right smack dab in the middle, just completely average, the worst place. <laughs> yeah, that is a good point. Yeah, you're not shitty enough to get a good draft pick. Yep, that's a really good point. No, just just fucking tank, man. Just tank the team and rebuild. That's the thing. Get the rid play- of everyone. The, the players don't want to tank, though, because it's like they want to be able to have a job the next year. You know what I mean? No, but I'm saying front office. Yeah, get front rid office. of all the stars, all the big paychecks. Get rid of all of them. Bring in a bunch of promising rookies, have a whole rookie team, and rebuild. You're going to yeah. fucking – if you have a rookie team, you're going to be shitty the first couple of years. Oh, yeah. And when you're shitty, you can start adding adding on. You start building on. Listen, I'm, I'm not management for a, a sports <laughs> team. I have opinions on it, but I'm not in that position. I watch from the, si- I watch from the sidelines and just like – You're like, you're like mm, I have an opinion about this. <laughs> I wonder how far that will get me here. Right. Oh, that's amazing. Well, dude, I wanted to I wanted to shift gears to yeah, me too. Okay, so you're going from Flosterdamus, and you go you went into doing yeah, me too because of you wanted. Is it more of a a creative thing that you wanted right there, or was it was it just too much for you? Like, what was the main reasoning for going into yeah, me too? 
And I'm sure you've talked about this uh, in other interviews, and I probably should have read up about it, but this is where no, we're No, 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 it's totally fine. Just for the people that don't know, like, um, and the answers changed over years. Like, when I first left, in my mind, I knew why I was leaving, but the, 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 the way I talked about it and the way I presented it to the public was like, you know, I wanted to be with my family, which was true, you know? But more than that, I had been meditating and had been really putting in a lot of work on myself and just like figuring out who I was, what I wanted. I'd been on tour since I was 20 years old. So like my entirety of my 20s, I had like abandoned friends and like not being around like people in my city who I built friendships with and had just gone abroad and, and had lived on the road. So I was really like trying to just figure out who I was, what I wanted to do. And at the same time, me and Kurt's relationship began to, to began to deteriorate um, as a result of us being in completely different places as people, but then also being forced to be right on top of each other together 24 seven for however long. It was like a marriage, mm -hmm. you know? And so for me, I was like, you know what? Like Kurt wasn't, Kurt wanted the same thing, but he didn't want to do it. And I just was like, you know what? I'm at this point where I've like, I've achieved enough with this project. I'm ready to rip the bandaid off. And I made the call and said, Hey, Kurt, you know, like I, I want to go a different direction. And it wasn't to say I wanted to leave music. I, I love making music. I love writing music, but it was more to say, I'm tired of being a curator and someone who like is finding producers to like write my songs. I want to go back to writing my own music and just making whatever the fuck I wanted to. And now, and, and at that point, I could, I could do that because I could afford it. Yeah. It wasn't something, it wasn't something where I needed money or I needed to take the next gig or whatever. We had had a really successful career. We've made a bunch of money and I was like, Hey, you know what? I have enough money now that I can take more creative risks than I ever did. And yeah, that's a whole different conversation, like creative risks with financial security. Yeah. Um, but I'll say this, like that was a big part of it for me. It was the quality of our relationship had deteriorated. And then that mixed with me at a time where I was like, I just want to do something different. So. Yeah. And that's, a, and that's crazy, man. It's almost like, especially starting a new project and, you know, like rebrand, like if you will, you know, um, you know, that's, that shit's risky and it doesn't work for a lot of people. But then you look at people like, you know, where people who has worked for like Marshmello or something like that, which, you know, you're a lot right. different than Marshmello. That's for damn sure. But it's just like, it is something that you had to do. And it's really, it's, it's respectable. Like there's a lot of, there's a lot of integrity in that, you know? I appreciate that. You know, with Marshmello, it's something where he was anonymous. So it was like a whole new project with me. It was more like, it was very public. Like, yeah. you know, you know me from this group and now I'm going to do another thing. You was know, it, 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 I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Finish. No, 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 please interrupt. What do you want? What are you uh, saying? Uh, no, I was just like, is, was, is it, was it cooler or is it still cooler? Obviously not now because of the pandemic. Whenever, because Floster Damas was like, you know, like a main stage festival act, you know what I mean? Was it really yeah. cool to kind of take a step back and just like, you know, go back to doing club shows, you know what I mean? Where it's like it felt a little bit, you know, I wouldn't say more underground, but just a lot more intimate and stuff like that. Um, For the first little bit, yeah. But then I started playing shows where no one came. 
like like I I fell off, you know. Like I got to a point where I would play a show and I'd be playing to a really small crowd, like you know, three, four people, five people, and I was like, wait a second, this isn't working. So, and this was a deal that I had made with myself when I started the project, which was. I am. I want to be accountable for my own failures. When you're in a when you're in a duo, you know, something can fail, and it can be put on another person, you know, or something can like, like a big thing that you know I was working through with Kurt was, I wanted to take the big risk and fail big. I want. I was like, let's do the weird thing that like doesn't seem like it would work, and then it's almost like like a gamble. Let's see if it hits, and if it and if it hits, it's going to hit big, man. And I feel like he was more conservative where it was like, let's more do like these things. And so for me, doing this project was like me being like, hey, listen, I want to be accountable for my own failures, but I also want to have my own creative control. And so this pandemic has been amazing because <laughs> for me, I felt like the show started to get kind of static. I didn't, I didn't have my place in EDM, you know, I had left the group, but the group continued to go. Flostradamus was still being built on shows. It wasn't like Kurt was being built on shows yeah. or like DJ Autobot. It was like Flostradamus, this hoodie nation warning sign, the same songs. You get to go to the set. It's the same shit. It's our banger songs with a, a couple contemporary songs mixed in between, you know, like, so the, the, the show still existed. Um, me, I, I came out of it thinking that I was just going to be like, cool, easy street. I came out of this group, this popping ass group. I'm just going to take off. And no, I fell on my face. Like I definitely fell on my face. So I played some like, I played some cool shows and there's still some cool shows, but like the turnout of my shows started to completely fall off. And I was just like, okay, like <laughs> now what do I do? You yeah. know? And, uh, and the pandemic gave me a chance to, figure that out and, and find an answer for that question that's crazy so literally it was the pandemic that kind of got you back onto you know back you on track back on track yeah these, yeah definitely. These streams and stuff that's awesome man it was it put me in front of a whole new audience and that was the big thing for me is it's like you know the flostradamus audience was dying already like it was kind of like the end of trap and so it wasn't like i left this group at its peak I left the group after it had peaked and, pla and plateaued and was starting to make its downward sort of turn. Because yeah. if you look at Flusterdamus now, it's not what it used to be. Yeah. And, so, and so it was sort of starting to make that turn and I, I got off. And I feel like, you know, at the time, the timing of it, it didn't hit the way that I expected it to. I was definitely like more gas up. But listen, to all the artists out there, what's your name? My real name? Your My real name? name? Oh, Mitch. Mitch. Mitch, Mitch, like Josh, one of the, what, I'm Josh. One of the craziest <laughs> things is, and one of the best things in music and best things in creativity is failing and being humbled. Those things you can't teach. You can't fucking watch a YouTube, YouTube tutorial and like get the knowledge. You have to fall on your face on some level. It's like with addicts, you have to hit rock bottom to like find your, your next chapter and it's like for an artist if you can actually try something crazy da, 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 and have it fall flat there's so much there's so many lessons in that there's yeah. so much information you gather from that 
And that's information that you don't gather if you're just playing it safe and trying to sound like another artist, just trying to sound like another style or whatever. So that's a big thing for me. So I got to, I, I said, I was like, I'm going to leave this group so I can fail on my own. And I left the group and I failed on my, I failed <laughs> on my own. It's not necessarily what I wish would have happened. I would have loved to just like have easy street, but there've been a lot of lessons and the music reflects it. You know, like I said, I'm holding back this project, but like the next chapter of this shit sounds different and it needed to have that, that shock to the system to break out of the, the mold. Hell yeah. I'm very excited to hear it, man. Very I'll, excited say, I'll hear send it. you, I'll send you everything after we get up this, uh, this paper. rock and roll, bro. I'll send you a little something too. You might enjoy. <laughs> uh, by the way, I'll just say this. I, I just to like take a second to gas you up. You're one of the dopest out making trap shit, like the harder trap shit. Um, some of the first stuff I heard from you was like the more like, like almost like 50 BPMs, like really head, head banger, super slow, like knocky shit. Yeah. And I just want to say I'm a, I'm a big fan, man. I fuck with you. Dude, <laughs> that means so much, bro. I'm speechless after that. You have no idea. Dude, because like I said, literally, like you were first electronic show. Was you was that you in 2013? And I was I I was just a fucking drummer, and I was hearing this shit for the first time, and I was like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I remember I was like, "You and Bauer were on the lineup, and that changed it changed my life." I'm being for real. Oh, for at, real. at Buku, yeah. that was special too. By the way, just so you know, that show and like whatever, like in all the shit that happened, that show is up there for me as one of the best. It changed my that life. Crowd, like, no that joke. crowd was fucking insane. The production that they had in that room. Where it was like in. those, um, they had Floats. fucking strobes. They had strobes and floods, but they had strobes all the way along to the back. And they weren't, they weren't LED strobes. They were the proper atomics. Mm-hmm. So it, it was like a fucking warehouse rave in London in like 1999. And then behind us were all the floats that they used for Mardi Gras. Mm-hmm. So it was for us artistically was like a fucking weird environment to be in. And then the crowd went crazy at that show. So that's one that sticks out in my mind for sure. I was one of those guys in the crowd going crazy. I remember turning to dope. my girlfriend at the time saying, what the fuck? <laughs> 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 those were one of those shows, man. Yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> well, look, dude, I cannot thank you. Uh, I cannot thank you enough for coming on the podcast, man. It's been really great getting to talk with you, get to know you a little bit. And uh, man, it's I just, I just can't say enough nice things, man. I appreciate you. Yeah, of course, Mitch. Thank you so much, man. It's good to meet another, you know, boy from the central time zone, you know. Yeah, I'm Midwest, you're South, but, you know, we still we still straight up and down. Hell yeah, brother. <laughs> <laughs> I will t- I'll, uh, yeah, me too, everybody. Talk to you later, buddy. All right, later, guys. Take it easy. And that was Mr. Yeah, me too, everybody. What an absolute legend. I, I literally was speechless right there at the end. He's gassing me up. I a little bit of little flustered. You know what I'm saying? One of those moments. But I feel like I can pose myself very well on the cameras in front of him. <laughs> what a fucking awesome guy. Very open to talking about everything too, man. Um, I'm glad he was able to, you know, willing to talk about his past with Lostradamus, even though he's doing the yeah, me too. I still wanted to talk about that. Wanted to talk about it all. And we talked about everything and then some. So that was an amazing conversation. I had a lot of fun with that. I really hope y'all did too. But that's going to be it for this week's episode of Talks with Taboo. Hope y'all have a great week. I will see y'all next week. And the guest next week is somebody that's been requested for a long time. Um, so yeah, love y'all. Peace.